We're in week number five on the order series. And um, I come this morning with kind of a devotional thought. And you all know I don't preach a lot of orthodox sermons. I, I, feel, I try to distill down in prayer and study what I feel like the Lord would say to you. And um, somewhere after I start in every sermon, if the Lord doesn't come in and anoint and take over, we're always in trouble. And so I'm asking the Lord that I have a lot of scripture again this morning and um, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to come in and provide the commentary for what I'm going to read. How many hope the Holy Spirit comes and you don't have to listen to Pastor Chuck again this morning. I'm serious as a heart attack because this series, you know, whatever my favorite sermon is, whatever one I'm preparing for or whatever I'm preaching, because the word is alive and I don't like leftovers, you know. And, and so there's a fresh sense of what I feel like the Lord's giving me in this series. And, and today, I want to talk to you about this fact. You had one job. That's it. That comes from Ocean's 11. I think it was like 2001 or 2, where there was that, that, that line, that classic line. Bro, you had one job. And, um, and you, you, you failed. It was an epic fail, total fail, just miserable. And you, you want to get some, a kick out of a little two or three minutes on the web, just Google. You had one job memes. They're awesome. They'll minister to you. You think you're having a bad day or you've messed up. You ain't not messed up till you look at some of, like, bro, you had one job. I remember a football game. We were sitting there. Uh, Banks was in high school, and it was a pretty intense game. And the, the line of scrimmage was right where we were sitting. And you have a line judge. And you're like, dude, three of their defensive men lined up offsides. And they, they got a sack against us. You had one job. Just, you're the line judge. You don't have to worry about what down it is, what the scoreboard says, what time. You got one job. You don't have to see if anybody's holding. You got one job. And everybody in the stand sees they're clearly offsides. Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, they had one job. You can have it all. But I'm asking you one thing. Everything else will come natural. God will come down in the cool of the day. He will come to you. You don't even have to work. Just don't touch that tree. And Satan came and said, Hear me, because we'll come back to this at the end of the service. Did God really say, you shall not eat of that tree? And she said, God did. That's, a, that's what he said. And he said, if we eat from that tree, of knowledge of good, the knowledge of good and evil, we will die. And Satan says this in the New Living Translation. You won't die. And it was a play on words. He's the master at manipulating gossip. He's the master at taking even God's words and turning them. And then he goes on to elaborate and sell the line. He says, you won't surely die, for even God knows if you eat from that tree, you'll be more godly like him. And then he appealed to their flesh, and you'll know the difference between good and evil. And he was playing on words. He said, you won't die. You'll stay physically alive. 
You'll, you can eat this and stay physically alive, but you will die spiritually. And how many of you know it's more important to be alive spiritually than physically? Because if you're alive physically, you will never die, period, the end of sentence. Can I get a witness? But Adam, you had one job. And now look. Years ago when we had, I think it was around five kids, and we had a newborn, and Candace um, stayed home with the newborn. My oldest sister from Virginia came. Now, you think I have ADHD. You should see my oldest sister. She's a creative. Imagine an ADHD woman raised in the Ramsey household who is a creative. And she wanted to go to Six Flags over Georgia. How many of you know this is going in the wrong direction already? <laughs> she brought her two daughters. And um, I had, I think, our four oldest. And it it might have been Stone that you stayed home with. And she, as we left, she made clear, be careful and don't lose any of the children. <laughs> and she said, I'm asking you to do one thing. I don't care if you don't even have fun. Just bring all the children home with you. You know where this is going, right? I had one job. Have fun. And if I bring the same number of children home or a number close to that, job completed. And as you would know, we were waiting in line for one of the crazy rides. And Caroline turns around and says, where's Erica? And I have that, I had one job, just job description running over. And so as fate would have it, we went and found her. And I think Six Flags is so brilliant in this one thing. Where the kids get lost, they call it lost parents, not lost kids. And so... We went there, and man, were we thrilled. And this was 20 years ago. If that happened today, I, I don't, they would probably have to just rip, give me mouth to mouth or something. Or I would never go home again. That'd be the end of our marriage or something, you know. And so we found her, and I had this deal with all the kids. What happens at Six Flags needs to stay at Six Flags. And don't you know, Banks of all the ones. Banks is always the one. He's like, Mom, I'm glad you were praying because Dad lost Eric. That's a true story. Long story short, I had one job. Epic fail. We're going to look. And, and before I read this story, I just want, I heard Nathan uh, Finocchio say this this week. And... I learned it in, in, in my studies of the Bible as well. But the Old Testament stories, one of the reasons we can't unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament stories is they are cult culturally formative narratives. They're stories that we distill lots of important lessons from them. This is why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 in verse 11, he said, speaking about the old things in the Old Testament, he said, these things happened for our examples. Yeah. 
so that we can learn from what they went through. So I'm getting ready to read a story about um, an epic time in Old Testament history of the people of God. And it's the story of Josiah. Look what it says in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Now that just, just that right there is a showstopper. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father, David. That's, David wasn't his father. He was like his great, 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 great grandfather. And it says about him, no other king did it say this, not turning aside to the right or to the left. And in the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary or the scribe to the temple of the Lord. He said, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest. So we've got three characters right now. Josiah, the young king, 18 years later, he goes to the scribe, Shaphan, and then, he, and, and then they get the priest involved. So you've always got kings or a king, a priest, and a prophet or prophets. Those are the three offices. And um, you've got this scribe, and he says... In the 18th year, Josiah sent him to the temple Lord. He said, go up to Hilkiah the priest and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord. Because there's a, the temple's in disrepair. And he says, also have him purchase timber and dressed stone. Look, to repair the temple. Hilkiah the priest, verse 8, said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. We're going to come back to that. I found the book of the law in the temple. I found the word of God in the house of God. You found it, which meant it had been lost. He gave it to Shaphan, who read it, the scribe. NIV calls him secretary. Then Shaphan, the secretary, went to the king and reported. So reported to him. And look what he says. He reports, okay, hey, the work, the temple's being repaired. And then look at this just passing comment. He says, oh, God, help us. Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. The works, the temple's being repaired, which is a great thing. It's where the worship, they house the presence of the Lord. And then verse 10, then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, a book. And Shafe, you're a scribe, bro. And you just, we went from the book of the law to, hey, by the way, temple's being repaired and, and Shaphan, he handed me this book. When the king heard, and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And that's, that's a picture of, oh God, yes. I repent. Yeah. This is the king. And this, is, this is like six years. It's like ten years into his personal renewal. And now he's finally hearing from the word. And when the other person's reading it, he starts repenting. Now, I want you to see Hezekiah, Manasseh, and Amon, and, and Josiah. So Josiah is our subject today. 
His dad was Amon, who was king for just, and he became king at a young age. Too. He was only king two years. Amon's father was Manasseh. And both of those jokers, Manasseh and Amon, they were, they were jacked up. Manasseh was a young man when he became king. Manasseh's father was Hezekiah. I just want you to see these characters. Because really it's amazing that Josiah would have a personal revival and desire to reform the temple and the worship of the people of God. Because his father and grandfather, they were just spiritually just bankrupt and like I'm talking bankrupt like 2024 Oval Office bankrupt and I don't mean that in any political way I'm talking spiritually wicked and the parallels are incredible so Hezekiah first 25 years old he reigned 29 years and was a great king and the greatest renewal of his time happened under his leadership and then Manasseh comes and we pick up from I read from first Kings 20 or second Kings 22 in second Kings 21 we see the story of Manasseh and you got to see this I'm not I'm not here to entertain you got to listen along with your spiritual ears this morning Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king this is Josiah's grandfather and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. You're like, Moses said, when you come into this land, don't worship their gods. Don't let your children date their, their children. And he did it. For he rebuilt, verse 3, the high places, which his good father, his righteous father, Hezekiah the king, had destroyed. He was like, get rid of those wicked altars. And here's Manasseh rebuilding them. He raised up altars for Baal and made a wooden image as Ahab. Oh, are you kidding? We're going to bring Ahab in? King of Israel had done. Also, he had made his son pass through the fire. Spirit of abortion, murder, sacrificing children. And don't think we're innocent. To provoke him to anger, verse 7. He even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house of the Lord. The next king we pick up is Amon. 2 Kings 21, verse 19. Amon was 22 years old. Look at this. When he became king and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. Wow, that's just a brief reign. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. Then the servants of Amon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. And then look what the next verse says. Then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. I want you to see something. It's got to be really bad for the people who work for the king to conspire and take him out. And it's when you consider they're going, we want the eight-year-old to be our king. Everybody picking that up? This is how bad it was. When spiritual leaders are bankrupt, everything rises and falls on them. And we're seeing it in our nation, in the church, in the West. But oh, that there would be a remnant to say, oh God, 
Help find some young man, some young person somewhere that's still got a heart that you can work with. So we know it. this was a desperate situation. Can I get a witness? Everybody picking up what I'm putting down. Then we come to Josiah, eight years old. He reigns for 31 years. First, I'm sorry, 2 Kings 22, verse 2 says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. We just read it. Followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. I want you to notice something. So we'll see in, over in 2 Chronicles, which tells the same story. If you know Old Testament salvation history, the Kings and Chronicles, it's two looks at the same story. And we see that Josiah became king at eight years old. Eight years later, he has a personal renewal. And he begins to seek the Lord, the Bible says. What happened in those eight years? What caused him to go, I, I want to be like my father David. I think that there were some counselors, some advisors, there were some judges, there were some people around him that caught him at an early age and said, let me tell you what it can be like. Let me tell you what we've heard it was like in the past. And when David, who is your relative, came, and I think there was eight years of him hearing those stories, and then he began to go, I, I want to seek the Lord. And there's a, there's a message here for somebody. You can live a life before the Lord that your great-great-grandchildren can hear the story of what God did in your life. And, and it can impact them generations later. Are y'all out there? And God help us to impact the very next generation and the one after but even if there is a season of breakdown in your spiritual lineage, may there be somebody that rises. May there be some counselors that come around and tell your great-grandchildren what God did in your life. Come on, somebody. Now, 2 Chronicles 34 tells us, and this is what I was just describing. So now we're looking at those developmental years in Josiah's life. Everybody understanding? So we looked at it from 2 Kings. Now we're looking at it from 2 Chronicles. And it gives us a little more detail on Josiah's life. It says in verse 3, during the eighth year of his reign, so he's now 16 years old, just got his driver's license. While he was, look at this, while he was still young. I know most of the well and the youth group, they're going to be in the next service, but not all of them. And not all of the young people in this church are in the youth group or in the well. I'm one of those young people. How about y'all? Still young enough to be used in a significant way. While he was still young, while he, when I was on the road preaching mostly to kids, he became king at eight years old. During the eighth year, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor David. Would you just pray and let's just come into agreement. While our children are still young, they're going to seek the Lord. Come on, somebody. Then in the 12th year, four years later, when he was 20, he began to purify Judah and Jerusalem. And let me tell you, this was politically incorrect. He was standing up against the flow. 
He destroyed all the pagan shrines, the Asherah poles, and the carved idols and cast images. He ordered that the altars of Baal be demolished and that the incense altars which stood above them be broken down. He also made sure that the Asherah poles, the carved idols, the cast images were smashed and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He, he, he's breaking bad right here. He burned the bones of the pagan priests on their own altars, and so he purified Judah and Jerusalem. Can somebody say praise the Lord for that? We need the spirit of Josiah to break out among spiritual leaders. And then look, verse 8. In the 18th year of his reign, after he had purified the land and the temple, Josiah appointed Shaphan, Shaphan the royal historian, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. What were they doing in the temple from his 12th year after he began to reform the spiritual practices? What were they doing between the 12th year when he was 20 years old and his 18th year when he was 26 years old? What were they doing in the temple? What was going on? Probably looked like church in America. They were gathering. Somebody was talking. But they lost the word. Probably some TED talks. Oprah, Dr. Feelgood talks going on. Going through the motions. But something changed when they found the word. Josiah, 10 years into his personal reformation, renewal, he tore his clothes. He repented. Manasseh, his great-grandfather, his, great his grandfather, did evil in the sight of the Lord. According to the abominations of the nations the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He built altars to Asherah and Baal, the same demonic forces that we are dealing with basically sexual immorality and power and those are the two altars and he and he made his son pass through the fire he offered his son as a sacrifice to those false gods and then Amon just a continuation of what his father Manasseh had done the people did away with him two years in. Josiah. I just want to, I'm, I'm, we're going somewhere. During the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor David. Then in the twelfth year, he began to purify Judah and Jerusalem. It's my prayer and thought, I'm not going to call this a prophetic word yet, but I believe God is looking in this hour of gross immorality and spiritual lawlessness where we are seeing in the last four years high-profile spiritual leaders, pastors with influence, left and right being exposed as frauds, as compromised. I believe in this Manasseh-Amon season 
God is looking to release a Josiah anointing upon the church. And because we are in the same boat. What, ha what was happening? Remember I said culturally formative narratives. We see in here in all the stories in the Old Testament. Types and shadows. Things that speak to us. The people of God had lost the word of God in the house of God. Everybody please listen. How many of you are with me so far? Um, they didn't lose the word of God. You, what, what, what are we talking about? The word? We know it was at least Deuteronomy, but it was probably the Pentateuch, the first five. That's, that's, that was their Bible at that point, and they had lost it. Now look, they hadn't lost it in a cave. They didn't lose it out on the battlefield. The Canaanites had not come in, in, come in and stolen it. The Philistines had not captured it like they did the ark. They lost the word of God in the house of God. This is a huge problem, and it is a current problem. Speaking in Dallas this past week, I was asked to be a part of sharing on the woke versus awake church. And there was a pastor from Austin, Texas, um, another pastor from Houston, and another pastor from Dallas. And as we began to share, I asked about 2,500 pastors that were in that conference. In my session, there was probably 1,000. And I, I asked, what are we doing? What are we doing? Where this school of thought as pastors is, don't share more than one or two verses. Give a general thought. And I ask, lovingly, they wanted me to share our story of what's going on here. And I, you know, I, I asked them, you know, what, what are we doing? People are, we live and die by the word of God. God confirms in the earth what he wants to do when we declare his word. God help us rediscover the old dusty word of God. Let it be refreshed and cleaned and so we can stand up and boldly and lovingly in a fatherly way declare the word of God. I know there's not a lot of amens because it's, it's such a strange concept. That the people of God will lose the word of God in the house of God. It's a huge problem. Isaiah chapter 55. I want you to see this. We put When we go through the mixer and growth track, we talk about the concepts of being a vertical church. And one of the core values is of a vertical church is unapologetic preaching. We preach God's word. How many of you will thank God? We preach God's word here. It's his word. You can argue with Pastor Chuck and Pastor Mon's opinion, but you can't argue with the Word of God. And you know this passage, but in the message, it says this, I don't think the way you think. This is God saying. I don't think like you. The way you work isn't the way I work. God's decree. For as the sky soars high above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work. And the way I think, it's beyond the way you think. Just as rain and snow descend from the skies and don't go back until they've watered the earth, 
doing their work of making things grow and blossom, producing seed for farmers and food for the hungry. Now he says, as the rain and the snow, the precipitation falls from heaven and brings vegetation life, he says, so will the words that come out of my mouth not come back empty-handed. They'll do the work I sent them to do. They will do the work that he sent. They'll complete the assignment I gave them. So then when that happens, you'll go out in joy. You'll be led into a whole and complete life. If you're here today and you go, Pastor Chuck, I just feel so far away from God. And we do. How low is your situation? How desperate is it? Are you so far away from God in such a deep hole that you feel hopeless? Yes, Pastor Chuck, that's me. What can I do? I'm glad you asked. Come to church and let me declare the word of God over your life into that hole in that situation. Because that's exactly right. God gave us the word. He didn't give us the word to have something conservative to say on Sundays. He didn't give us the word to have some religious concepts. He didn't give us the word so we can play church games. He gave us the word so that dead people stuck in a hole, broken, hopeless, can be resurrected in their situations can be filled with hope again and life again. Come on, if you're going to praise him, that's a good place to really thank God for his living word. Come on, it's alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. We praise you, Lord. And some people go, man, the word of God, it kind of scares me. Keep reading. We've got such a distorted understanding. Oh, the word of God's going to make me holy. Like holy is a bad thing. You like your crappy life? You like walking in all that shame and guilt? Those loose morals that give you freedom? How free are you? This is why I said, when my word gets to your lowlessness and brings you up, you're going to go out and it's going to be like the trees are clapping their hands. Here comes Chuck Ramsey. The mountains are going to burst forth in singing and joy. That's what the word is. That's what Isaiah 55 says. How many of you found that to be true? You're not afraid of the word. You're like, hit me. Hit me again. Hit me again. Hit me again. Come on. How many of you know? And holiness, godliness is a great thing. Praise your name, Lord. Now, I have two points now that I've finished my introduction. Number one. I told you this is going to be an unorthodox. This is kind of a devotional thought this morning. Things you should know about becoming part of Restoration Church. I just want you to know, the pastors here will be preaching the word. Listen to me. Prayerfully, lovingly, fatherly. We're not a right-wing conservative talk show. I think the bravado of the way we view people on the other side, we, when you prayerfully seek the Lord, 
You don't come with ideas or sermons. You come with messages. And they bring life. Are y'all out there? And when you do it prayerfully, like I, on the way here this morning, I'm changing some notes. It's not because I didn't study this week. I'm in, I'm in worship going, here's how you need to end that. I'm like, God, why don't you do this on Tuesdays? I'm serious. I'm not trying to be. It's like, it's a, it's, but I've learned to just get in the passenger seat and let him drive. When you prayerfully, lovingly preach the word. I could do other things with my life. No, I couldn't. But I could. I'd be miserable. I love the word. I love the local church. I love people. This is a pastor. If ministry's hard, I know it is. But it's it's my calling and my purpose. I don't stand up here to win friends or influence people. I don't stand up here to gain an audience. When I was on the road, I used to get alone somewhere before I preached. Sometimes it's five or 10,000 kids, sometimes more. And I would ask myself, do I have anything to say that will make a difference in these kids' lives? Some of them, their parents paid for their trip here. They'd be off and out of town on their credit cards. I'm getting an honorarium. I'm the guest speaker. But God, what you're going to say through me, is it worth the investment? And every Sunday, the last thing I do before I come out, I go to that little bathroom suite in my office. And I get on my knees and I say, Lord, this is your kingdom. You are the king. Anything that will be worth hearing, you must deputize me. And your kingdom authority, if it will flow through me, not to get me affirmed, but to bring life to people. This is what our brothers and sisters, this is what church used to be like. This is the faith of our fathers. Pastors stood up and they were faithful to the word of God. I may not be the slickest preacher, the most educated, but I'll tell you this. I'm going to pray. And if I lose friends in being faithful to him, if you think less of me, but he thinks more, I preach for the applause of heaven. And I pray that in the process that you will be blessed and he will be glorified. And don't feel sorry for me. I don't want to be your, I don't want you to be my fan. I want you to love the word of God. I want you to eat the word of God. I want you to understand the the storms are going to come. The rain is going to come. The floods are going to rise. The winds are going to blow. But he who... He who hears these words of mine, Jesus said, he's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when that stuff comes, his house will stand. His house will stand. Praise you, Jesus. I got a few things to say, and Arnon came out, so I got to say fewer things. Or saying faster. How many of you for faster? How many of you for fewer? There's a division in the house. God, unite us, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Oh, the, the beauty of his word. 
Um, the word is the plumb line for us. It's a mirror. You need me to preach the word. So you can see, are you balanced? What do you look like in the mirror of his word? We've been praying for about a year. About a year ago, the president, the owner of 91.5, the old WWEB radio station, came to us. And he, he actually, we finally got lunch scheduled. And he said to me, Chuck, we want, he said, I've been trying to get this lunch scheduled for two years. And um, we want you to be one of our Sunday morning speakers that, that plays every Sunday morning. And I said to him, Pastor Don Allen, great friend, you need to pray for him. He's going through a health challenge like crazy. War Hill Church. And I, and I said to him, I said, Don, have you listened to my sermons? And he said, I have. And he said this to me, he said, we believe that Atlanta needs to hear your voice. So we went to praying and I shared with our Thursday morning model man group. And um, the Lord continued to lead us down this road. And I just want to tell you, uh, I think it is at the end of this month or first of next month that they start. And he, he, he recently came back and I said, Don, I'm going to get you in trouble. You're going to lose FCC. He said, no, we'll edit a lot. And I said, <laughs> I, I said, there may be nothing left when you edit all the stuff out. And he said, tell your, and I said to him, I said, Don, I can't change the way I preach. And he said, we don't want you to. But he said this, tell your people, you didn't come asking could you get on our station? We came asking for you to consider getting on our station. And, and he said, I want you to have your people help us promote it. And he said, and the numbers are crazy. Church our side, he said, they've run the numbers recently here in Atlanta. That, that we'll have a thousand guests, first time guests in, in the first year because of it. And but here's the deal. I want you to know, pray. Pray for me and for Candace. Pray for our children. We think Josiah got straightened out and he just went in there and said, all right, you male temple prostitutes, get your tent out from under the temple of God. Think about that. Male temple prostitutes. What the heck? in the temple of God, set up with a room. You think he just went in there and said, hey, y'all gonna have to go. No wonder he took the altar, the rocks for the altars of Baal. And the Bible says he beat them, crushed them till they were dust. And you think, well, wow, that's awesome. Can you imagine the political, the spiritual, there are systems, there are political parties, there are businessmen who run these shows. Josiah, he started reading the word and he tore his clothes and he didn't just repent. He called everybody together and he said, I'm making a covenant with you. We're gonna honor the word. Read it. The whole next chapter is 
He didn't just rip his clothes for a TV show. He ripped his clothes, repented, and the next chapter is the whole chapter of him saying, that altar in the temple where they've been heating it up and bringing their sons and, all, and sacrificing their children, take that altar out and grind it down. This, for weeks and months, they heard hammers. Boom! Boom! In Judah. They got those all the way down. Boom! Boom! That was the sound of a sincere spiritual leader who said, we're going to take care of this once and for all. Are y'all out there? Oh man, I could. What were, what were they saying? I'm gonna close here. I got a whole lot left to say. What were they saying? The, every, the sound of those hammers just outside, around Jerusalem, Judah. What is that? They gonna go all day, daddy? getting rid of those altars ding ding well over 600 years later in that same community they heard the same ding ding and it was Jesus the word being hammered to the cross and hell thought they had won but the word was fulfilling the word and God received the word as a sacrifice for our sins and aren't you thankful for that sincere hammering so Pastor Chuck why do you hammer on these things because you need to get hammered we need some sincere If you'll pray for me, Candace and our family and our staff, we're going to lovingly preach, not a right-wing hate group. We're going to preach the word. And guess what? We're not going to shrink in this crowd and people go, Pastor Chuck, people are getting up in the middle of the sermon. Hear me. Hear me. That happens on the regular. You may not see it. And sometimes, don't judge them. Please hear me, everybody. When somebody gets up in the middle of the sermon with that look, like I didn't realize we Googled this church, and halfway through the sermon, a couple gets up and leaves, and they got that look. Don't judge them. They could be going, I hear my baby crying in the nursery all the way through three walls. And, and they make it, we got to go. Or they may be going, I didn't know he's not, this is not an affirming church and they're not LGBTQIA plus friendly. And if that's the case, when they leave, say a prayer for them. That if they're not ready to receive the word here, that the Holy Spirit will take what little got planted and he'll use it. Now, are y'all out there? And because I... I believe if you preach the word semi-regularly people are going to get up and leave because they don't want to hear it in every church amen and if they do oh how do I close this sermon 
I'll close with this right here. You have one job to live. How do you live manna? The word. When Satan came to Jesus and said, hey, if you're the son of God, command these stones. And Jesus said, man does not live, everybody say live, live. on bread alone. But, but look at it. He says, but man lives. How many of you are thankful for that? that man, but man lives. What kind of life did Jesus come to give us? The abundant life. But man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So on the regular around here, the results are going to be better than the sermon. God's going to speak and do more than any of us on the staff could get accomplished. Are you all out there? Like, for instance, just in the last 24 hours, I get a message from a man in this church who has gone online and, and clipped about a two-minute video clip from a sermon in 2001 and he says to me this week pastor chuck the word you gave in september 2021 the prophetic word has anyone claimed that that was for them if not i need to know and we're going to need to talk it just came to pass in my life we haven't talked yet. i can hardly wait we're getting ready to talk this week or next just yesterday we're here praying. It's a, a man who lost his job of 20-some years working for a bank. Out of nowhere, lost his job. Praying, praying, praying. And they said, we, we're going to come and bring the tithe on our um, severance pay. How many of you know that's a real believer right there? Y'all getting quiet on me. And they said, but when we give it, we want, and they, they said, we pay online, but we're going to bring our check, but we just want you to pray. As we prayed and discussed, their, the Holy Spirit gave me a word. And I said, this and this. It was just two simple things. And both of them said, boy, that bears witness with us. That was about 1030 yesterday morning. We're on our way to Gainesville. I get a call at 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon. This thing has gone on for weeks and months. And he goes, Pastor Chuck, do you have just a I said, absolutely. I saw your name. God's, you're not going to believe it. We did exactly what you said. And God has already opened the door for uh, my next step in my career. Now, I, I could go on and on. What is that? His ways are higher than our, our ways. He sends his word from way up high, way down low, to bring our way down low situation way up high. Because he wants us to live thinking like he thinks, acting like he like, acts. Are y'all out there? And I, I know this is a mess of a sermon. They're going to have to put this with something else on 91.5, but that's their problem. I got a, a flock to preach to. The rest I'm going to just have to figure it out. Are y'all out there? Stand up with me. And I just thank you, Lord. Speak life, life, life. Man does live on what? 
every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I want you to just hold your hands out. Just put your heart and your mind in a position. Just say, Lord, I want your word to be planted deep in my heart. Come on, tell the Lord, I don't want 30-fold or 60-fold. I'm asking, Lord, that my heart would be so receptive to your word. I've got one job this morning, and that is to receive your word. Your word that creates. You don't communicate to communicate. You communicate to create and to recreate. So create in me, Lord, a heart for your kingdom. Come on, just tell the Lord in the name of Jesus. Tell the Lord, your word is greater than my imagination, but I'm going to embrace it. Your word is greater than the vision I have for what you're going to do in my life, but I embrace it. Come on, in the name of Jesus, tell the Lord, I receive your word over my marriage. I, I receive your word over my children. Come on, somebody, tell the Lord, I receive your word over my finances, over my job transition. I receive your prophetic word, Lord, because it's been prayerfully, lovingly, prophetically given this morning, and I just receive it in the name of Jesus. I just declare there is a bountiful harvest coming in your life. Please listen to me. I sense it. The Lord would say to you, you're getting ready to come into a season of divine ahas. Shake your head. You're gonna, you're, it, the story of what God is about to do in your life is going to stretch your modest approach to sharing your testimony. But it's going to be so great that you're going to be forced to tell others and it's going to minister to them as well in Jesus' name. Come on, just receive that now all over the house. Glory to your name, Jesus. Glory to your name, Jesus. Glory to your name, Jesus. Your name Jesus. 120 men every other Thursday morning in our model men group. Most of, many of you know this, we're reading through the New Testament together on a schedule. And we have a group me channel where we've invited everybody. Every day, share the manna you got. It starts early in the morning. It distracts me all day long. It keeps me up at night. And it's the sweetest notifications that typically would irritate you. Men preaching to each other about the manna they got out of the Word of God. How awesome is that? Daryl Honeycutt's the first one I heard say it. Sin will keep you from the Word of God, and the Word of God will keep you from sin. You believe that? So may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. May he lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I love you all. Have a good day, everybody.